Hello and welcome to episode 2, season 1 of Storytime for Weirdos. This episode is called The Urbanist Beginnings. On the corner of Walton Avenue and 161st Street in the Bronx is a one-story convenience store. It is set amid the gracious 8- to 10-story Art Deco buildings of the Grand Concourse. On the roof of that convenience store is a billboard, a relic of a lawless time in the city's history. The billboard had made the property owner rich. The people of the South Bronx barely even looked at the billboard anymore. Just one more reminder of the powerful flouting the law. On this night, a block away, a figure dressed in black jumps and catches the bottom rung of a fire escape ladder, climbing quietly to the top. The figure jumps again and pulls itself over the parapet and onto the roof of the building. The figure in black jogs silently across the roof, skipping lightly over the top of the adjoining building's outer wall, towards the 161st Street frontage of the block. Arriving at the building next to the convenience store, the figure ties a rope around the bulkhead and rappels onto the roof of the store. As quietly as possible, the figure attaches a vice grip with a winch welded to it to the back of the building. Cords with grappling hooks extend from the winch. The grappling hooks are thrown over the top of the billboard. The figure, a hacksaw in hand, climbs the back of the billboard and saws through the strategic supports. Long, tense minutes pass where the sound of the sawing dominates the concern of the figure in black. However, the noise is drowned out by the Startled but satisfied by the increased wobble of the billboard, the figure descends to the roof of the store and begins to turn the crank of the winch. In short order, the billboard falls backward with a boom. The figure pulls the grappling hooks loose and retrieves the winch, hurriedly throwing the equipment in a backpack. A crowd gathers on the sidewalk, but the figure sheathed in black escapes notice as it climbs up the rope on the adjacent building and scurries into the night. By the time the detectives arrive, the sky is beginning to get light. Property damage, says Detective Arnold. Signs, like the ones in Queens last week, Detective Murphy replies. This is a bit bigger than an LED sign on a corner store, Arnold says. Yeah, says Murphy. Still, wonder if there's any connection. The two exchange a glance, sip their coffee, and approach the store. The tour of the site doesn't reveal much. This wasn't an accident, Detective Arnold observes. Those supports were cut with a hacksaw, says Murphy. The neighbors we talked to about the signs in Queens said they were illegal, Arnold muses. And, asks Murphy, then this sign doesn't seem super legal, Arnold continues. Hmm, Murphy replies. Might be a connection. Could tell us how much effort to put into this. How do we find out? I know a guy, says Arnold. The two get into their unmarked car and drive to a wedding cake of a building if wedding cakes were made of yellow brick and green glass. They park and cross the plaza next to the building, the sterile intent of the space made lively by fruit merchants and taco stands. 
Waving their badges at indignant security guards, they saunter to the elevator banks. How do you know this guy? asks Murphy as the first elevator fills with people before they can get on. Community board meetings, back in my community affairs days, replies Arnold. A second elevator arrives, and people push to get on it. As it closes, a third elevator opens, and the detectives enter it alone. He knows all about zoning and stuff, Arnold continues. Kind of a crazy guy. We used to see him at Hunts Point and other hot spots with a clipboard just knocking on doors. The two exit the elevator on the fifth floor and walk to a door marked city planning. They're buzzed in and confronted by an officious woman seated at a desk. Can I help you? She asks in a tone that makes clear she can't. We're here to see John Platkin, ma'am, Arnold says respectfully. Mm-hmm, she replies, considering the detectives carefully. Deciding that the deference shown was sufficient, he's in the office straight back at the end. You can go on in. The detectives walk through the quiet cubicle farm to a sunny corner office. A slim man in his early 30s sits at a battered green desk. He's on the phone, but waves them in. The detectives sit on mismatched chairs around a small wooden table. Mr. Goebel, I don't care if the sign was destroyed by giggles in a pack of circus monkeys. It was illegal, and your client can't just rebuild it, John Platkin says calmly, his grip on the receiver belying his tone. Moments pass, and he mouths, I'm sorry, to the detectives and points to the phone. They wave and grin. Pritchard, the answer is no. If you want to take your case up with the board, you can, but the department will oppose you. Platkin's tone becomes slightly more heated, and he pauses and then hangs up the phone. He hung up on me, he states. I shouldn't be surprised. Every time Pritchard Gobell speaks to me, he behaves like it's the last time he's ever going to speak with me. He stands up and addresses the two detectives. What can I do for you, gentlemen? Well, says Arnold, standing up and shaking his hand, it sounds like you already know about the sign on 161st. My partner, Detective Murphy, and I want to know what you know. Murphy stands up and shakes Platkin's hand and asks, Sounds like they have some uh, legal issues. Yeah, the sign has been there since the late 1980s, but it was never legal. For a long time, people just didn't care. But a few months ago, they put up an ad for a strip club. The borough president's office is across the street, and he hit the roof. John sits down while he recounts the tale. The lawyer I was just talking to, Gobel, filed papers at buildings stating that it was a pre-existing and therefore legal sign, but he filed here trying to legalize it. We're not in the business of legalizing ugly billboards, but we shared the papers admitting it was illegal with buildings, which torpedoed his efforts there. I'll bet he loves you, says Arnold. I'm not interested in winning any popularity contests, John says with a wry smile. He can file an appeal at the Board of Standards and Appeals, but I doubt he'll have much luck. Murphy interjects, so the sign is illegal. Any idea why someone would want to tear it down? Well, the Bronx Borough President and the local councilwoman wanted the sign to be torn down. The executive of the Business Improvement District at 161st Street called it a blight. 
I even got a call from the community affairs guy from the Yankees. They're trying to be more family friendly. So take your pick, John replied. All right, thanks, Arnold says. The detectives stand up, shake John's hand, and he escorts them to the door. I'll fill out the paperwork if you tell the captain we don't recommend spending more resources on this, Murphy says to Arnold as they open the door. Sure thing, says Arnold. John watches them leave and heads back to his office. He spends the afternoon reviewing documents and answering emails. Around six, he gathers his things and walks to the subway. His commute is short, just a few stops to 161st Street. He eyes the wrecked billboard on the roof of the convenience store as he passes. His small one-bedroom apartment faces the courtyard of an elegant pre-war. As he enters, he is greeted by a cat. Hello, Phoebe, he says absently as she jumps onto a small table cluttered with grappling hooks, a wench welded to a vice grip, and plans for a warehouse in Queens. I hope you've enjoyed episode two, season one of Storytime for Weirdos. This is a monthly podcast that gets posted the first Saturday of every month. Storytime. Turn all of the lights off over every boy and every girl. Storytime. One more for chance for feeling some joy, laughter, or fear. Story time. You might want to listen, so put this into your ear. There is one where a guy becomes a gnome. There is one where a guy becomes a gnome. There is one where a guy becomes a gnome, becomes a gnome.